That's Acts 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if, this the, if these things were so. And let's turn now to the second passage, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And actually, um, the next chunk is the beginning of chapter 4, so I'll just continue reading. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, on page 996. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged to the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. May God bless the reading of his word. At this time, I will invite Pastor Jeff up to preach. So we're continuing to preach through our set of four core values as part of this larger sermon series on our DNA, right? who we are and what we do. If you can kind of remember, we started way back in the beginning of September with our mission statement, which answers the question, what are we doing? What is Crossbridge's purpose and goal? What are we doing? And then our core values or our motives answers the question, well, why are we doing it? Why are we doing this mission? And what we've done is we paired each of these core values with a mark or measure. Right? Marks, which is this third side of this frame that we've been constructing together, this vision frame, answers the question, well, when are we successful? Or Perhaps, who are we becoming as we journey together to, to fulfill this mission together as Crossbridge? And so core values, they are shared convictions that guide the actions uh, and reveal the strengths of our congregation. These values represent some of our most deeply held ideals. They shape our ministry's ethos. They're a reminder, especially as, as people come and maybe they're new, maybe some of you are new for the first time. They're a signpost, a signal of what is most important to our church or to our congregation beyond what we would put in our statement of faith. They're the underlying assumptions, the commitments that drive our ministries and shape what we do and how we spend our time and who we spend our time with. They're the thing that gives a unique flavor to the things that we do here at Crossbridge. And Marks, on the other hand, they're the fruit. 
They're the fruit of being transformed by the Spirit. They're the fruit that is tied, linked with our motives and our mission. So, and so it's not meant to be this all-encompassing checklist of things that we need to just do, right? But oh, just a way for us to reflect, to gauge, well, you know, how do we know that we're growing? And how do we know that we're maturing as members of Crossbridge? So last time, we introduced our first core value, for God. We orient our lives and our purposes to God. And if we are for God, then we said one measure, one mark for that would be, well, let us together be missional in life. And so we kind of pose the question at the end of that sermon, well, who am I bringing to come and see? In the same way that Philip and Nathaniel brought, were brought to come and see Jesus. This morning, we're introducing our, our second core value, scripture-driven. We look to scripture to know God, to navigate the demands of everyday life. And so if you want to join me, grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you, take out your phone, pull out the Bible app. We're going to be looking at a couple of different scripture passages, the ones that were read earlier by Natalie. The first passage this morning is from Acts 17. I'm going to read a few more verses, verses 10 to 12. It says there, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So as we unpack what being scripture driven means, I think it means at least three things. First, it means that we receive the word. So in this passage we just read, Paul and Silas had just come from Thessalonica where they were reasoning with the people there, right? Explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to suffer, to die and to rise from the dead, and that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And despite some believing, there were still some others that attacked them, drove them out. And now here, Luke's writing, as he's writing Acts, he wants to draw this comparison between these Berean Jews and these Thessalonians. And the very first thing that he writes about them, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And what's interesting here is that the, this word for noble means being open-minded. And that's a really interesting take on that, or translation. A few years ago, CNN reported uh, about a crowdsourced 10 non-commandments uh, contest in which people who didn't believe in, in a God or any God basically submitted their thoughts on, on what these 10 non-commandments should be, basically offering a, a modern alternative to the biblical 10 commandments. And so here's the first two that they came up with. You can see on the screen behind me. First, be open-minded and be willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. And two, Strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not to believe what you wish to be true. Now, I think many of us can agree, like, these are pretty good things. Now, my personal take is I, I don't simply think that these two uh, commandments are a modern alternative to the biblical version. 
but I think they also can be understood as an implicit critique of the Christian faith and of Christians in general at times. Right? Sometimes we, we might hear, or maybe we ourselves think, right, Christians are so closed-minded. Or Christians only believe in life after death because they fear death. And they want this idea of eternal life to be so true. Now, if these two commandments are a critique of this caricature of Christians in the Christian faith, and it assumes two things, I believe. One, that open-mindedness and new evidence evidently leads away from faith, not to it. And two, that having faith implies a lack of thinking, a lack of reasoning, That simply we believe the things that we believe because we want it to be true. Not because we're actually thinking through whether it's most likely to be true. And that is such an interesting juxtaposition against what is happening here in the early church. Because in our passage, the Berean Jews are actually described as being open-minded when they're presented with this with this claim about who Jesus is. He is God. He is the Messiah. And that open-mindedness led them actually to faith in Jesus, not away from it. G.K. Chesterton, he he writes this about being open-minded. He says, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it on something solid. Otherwise, it could end up like a city sewer, rejecting nothing. And if, if to me, like, I'm thinking about that last part of what he says, and it's so, it's such a visceral image, right? Like, can you imagine a city sewer where it just takes in everything, rejects nothing? You have trash that goes in, dirty rainwater, cigarette butts, car fluids as cars drive over it pet waste, and a bunch of other things. And then imagine a storm coming in and flooding the streets. And then all that that was in the sewer now overflows to the surface, spewing out whatever the sewer took in. As Chesterton writes, when we open our mind, the purpose is to close our mind on something. We look at this example of the Brian Jews and we see that they received the word. They were open-minded and they closed it on something, on this. And they did so eagerly and daily. And this idea of eagerness meant a sense of willingness, right? A desire for the scriptures and more emphatically, an eagerness for it that approached it without prejudice, Right? That's to say that they approached the scriptures trying to leave their preconceived notions about it and about who the Messiah should be and, and, and their judgment at the door. And look, admittedly, that's, that's really hard to do. They also examined the scriptures daily. Now remember, like they didn't have, the early church didn't have easy access to the scriptures. Right? It's not like they could just pull up God's word on their mobile phone wherever they were on their way to the market as they walked, or on a boat as they're fishing. They didn't have Wi-Fi, they didn't have data. So examining the scriptures daily meant going to the synagogue and, and 
confronting or working with, talking with Paul and, and others and doing it together there. So being scripture-driven means first to receive the word, to try it out ourselves, to test it even ourselves, but also to do it together. The second thing, not just to receive the word, but to remain in the word. So from 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that uh, from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is exhorting and instructing Timothy in this letter that he wrote near the end of his ministry. Paul's writing to encourage this, this guy, Timothy, to boldness, to endurance, to faithfulness in the face of false teaching, in the face of people, people even within the church who are being shaped by something other than scripture, who are being taught a different teaching, whose lives and beliefs are being shaped probably more by these other people or more by culture than by scripture. You might have noticed that our passage here begins with the word but, right? Which means that it's continuing on from something before. It's drawing this contrast. It's the second half of this larger section where Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's pointing out these false teachers who are going about deceiving and also being deceived. That's to say that right, they're, they're deceiving others, but the deception with which they deceive others is also deceiving themselves. So basically just a lot of deception going around. And it's this downward spiral, this feedback loop that leads to, to nowhere good. And so Paul, having uh, described these opponents, begins verse 14 now with this huge contrast. But you. This is not the case with you, Timothy. Paul exhorts him to continue in what you have learned and believed. It's a, it's a command. In fact, it's the only command in this larger section of like ten, uh, seven or eight verses. The word there for continue is literally remain. Remain in the word. Abide in the word. Stay in the scripture. In contrast to these false teachers who deceive and are, uh, are deceived and have departed from the truth. And so what Paul is getting at here is this understanding, this nuance of steadfastness, of commitment. It's not a one-time thing. That's why a lot of translations, our translations, use the word continue. Because right? it's an ongoing thing. You know, they want to highlight the, the fact that what Timothy has learned and believed is something he has to continually learn and believe. And some of us were in baptism class this morning. The very first class is about the authority and the relevance of Scripture. And we learn it. And those of us who have taken it and have been baptized, we continue to learn it. And we continue to believe in it. And what Paul is encouraging and commanding Timothy to do is a challenge for us today as well. Every year, the American Bible Society, in partnership with Barner Research Group, puts out this report called the State of the Bible. And in this report, among a lot of different things, one of the things that it examines is what they call the problem of biblical illiteracy. 
So they know on their website that a new generation is coming of age with very little knowledge of God's word. And so one of the main things that the state of the Bible report measures is what they call scripture engagement. They define it this way. Consistent interaction with the Bible that shapes people's choices and transforms their relationships with God, self, and others. And so we can kind of boil down this definition of scripture engagement to three questions. How often are people reading the Bible? Does the Bible shape their choices that they make in life? And does the Bible transform their relationships with God, the way they view themselves, and the relationships with the people around them? And what they did was they grouped people that they interviewed and surveyed into three categories. The Bible disengaged, the Bible engaged, and the movable middle. And so as people encounter the Bible for the first time, they start in this movable middle category, and then they move out to either being uh, disengaged and disconnected or engaged and committed. And so if you look at this graph, What's so interesting and fascinating is that 2021 actually saw a huge spike in the movable middle and then actually a drop in those who were Bible disengaged. Maybe it was because of the pandemic, like at the the start of the pandemic, people were trying to look for meaning and and answers. And the the authors behind the study actually at the time, when they put out the first, uh, last year, the previous year study out, they thought it might be the beginning of a trend in Bible exploration. But then look, a year later, the Bible disengaged, the, was it, the green bar? It's kind of hard to see. The, the Bible disengaged increased dramatically, and so did the movable middle. We would be foolish to think that what is affecting the rest of America is not affecting us. We've lived through the same pandemic pandemic. We we face the same challenges of trying to live out our faith in a social context that's now been upended by new norms, right? If some of the questions about uh, being scripture engaged was, well, does, does the Bible shape my choice and does the Bible transform my relationships with others? How do we do that in this new post-pandemic or endemic or whatever you want to call it era where where social distancing, where church was online, it was really hard for us to even have relationships to be transformed. And yet, here we are this morning preaching about a core value, our core value of being scripture-driven. Because I believe that the core of who Crossbridge is, who we are as Crossbridge, this is still who we are. This is us. You know, even if some days, some seasons, being scripture-driven might feel a little more aspirational than actual, and we might feel like we have our work cut out for us. But we believe that God has chosen to speak to us, to communicate to us, primarily through his word. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, this perfect and holy and just being, has chosen to be in relationship with us, to communicate to us in our language, in our 
in his, through his word, his love, his care, his wisdom, his plans, his will. And, and so we do our best to stay in scripture, to abide in his word, to remain in it. Here's the third thing of being scripture driven. We relish the word. Second Timothy 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Right, Paul is looking forward to a time when people will not endure sound teaching. It's, it's a future reality, but also a reality that is realized in the present. Right? It's already happening. And so we ask, well, why is there this substitute? Why are people in Timothy's day not enduring sound teaching? It's because what is sound is substituted for what is satisfying. It's because sound teaching is not always easy on the ears. Sound teaching, teaching, like the gospel, doesn't always sound so appealing. And the surprising thing is that Paul is not necessarily talking about those who believe, uh, don't believe, but he's talking about believers. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about people in the church that are being affected. The Ephesian believers where Timothy is ministering at, who would not put up with sound teaching or continue to accept it as valid or true. And so what Paul is doing is he's shining a light, putting a magnifying glass, highlighting the desires of the heart. Right? He says, he's talking about these ears that itch. Itchy ears that itch for novelty. For the sensational or the spectacular. And what happens is these Ephesian Christians are now stockpiling teachers for themselves that will scratch that itch, who will tell them what they already want to hear. We've all had an itch at some point right? a bug bite, eczema, some of you can relate. Hives, chicken pox, a rash. Maybe some of you start to feel an itch right now as I'm talking about itching. You know, what are we told when there's an itch? Right? Don't scratch. It only makes it worse. Do you know why it makes it worse? Now, I'm not a physician, so maybe I got this wrong, so I'm going to do my best. But scratching that itch causes mild pain, right? That's why it's like, oh, it feels so good even though it hurts. That pain temporarily interferes with that itching sensation. And so instead of sending itch, itch signals to the brain, it sends pain signals to distract us from the itch. The problem is, is that when the brain gets those pain signals, it responds by producing serotonin to control the pain. And as that serotonin makes its way through the body, it actually intensifies the itch. It makes the itch worse. And so now you're in this cycle where the more you scratch, the more you itch. And the more you itch, the more you scratch. Until you hurt yourself and you start bleeding. Or you have a scar. Some of you might have scars from scratching too much or too hard. 
And so look at what this passage is pointing out. Itchy ears, right? The root problem here with those who reject sound teaching and wander off into myths is not intellectual. It's emotional. Like when we think about scratching its, we're not like, oh, let me scratch this so I can disrupt the itch signals and send pain signals to my brain. No, we're like, ah, it's so itchy, but I'm going to scratch anyways. And it feels, it feels good. That's an emotional response. And so when, people, when Paul describes these people who depart from the truth to suit their own passions, right, their own desires, their own feelings, it's because they have itching ears. And Timothy, preaching the word, preaching the gospel, is not scratching where they itch. It's because Timothy is presenting not what their, their hearts truly desires, Right? Underneath all of the intellectual debates and the disputes over truth and myth is a heart issue. We need a heart check. Right? To not just examine when, whether a teaching is sound or not, but to examine our own hearts and ask, well, what itch am I trying to scratch? Am I drawn to kind of this way of thinking, this attitude, this value, this potentially false teaching or instruction because it appeals to my desire for novelty or for superiority or for the sensational? What itch am I trying to scratch? So our second core value, again, is being scripture-driven. We look to scripture to know God and to navigate the demands of everyday life. It informs, it shapes our choices, it transforms our relationships. And so if this is what drives us, scripture, what motivates us as we, one of the things that, that motivates us as we bridge cultures to build a family in Christ, then let us be shaped by scripture. All right, so we receive God's word. We remain in God's word, and then we relish it. But it's not just for pure intellectual assent, right? It's not just about knowledge in our heads, but commitment in our hearts and transformation in our lives, right? James writes that even the demons believe that there is one God, right? The point that he's making is, look, some of these demons, they're more orthodox than all of you, or some of you, right? We could study the scriptures. We could take classes. We could in, uh, consume more and more knowledge. And James says, you're no better off than a demon. So it's not just about knowledge in our heads. It's about also commitment in our hearts and also transformation in our lives. It's not just about being scripture-driven, but about being shaped by Scripture together as we journey together on this mission. So 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul lists four things that Scripture is profitable or useful for. Teaching. Scripture tells me things I don't know about God, about the world, or about myself. 
It's useful for reproof, or in some translations, rebuke, right? Scripture is there to get in my face when about things that I say I believe, but I don't live consistently in. It's useful for correction, right? Scripture exposes, it shines a light on the wrong ways of thinking and behaving that I exhibit sometimes. And it's useful for training in righteousness, Scripture is there to show me a new way of being truly human. Right? You, you want to live your best life now? You want to do all these things? You want to be all about being human and, and, and all that? Well, Scripture is there to kind of shine a light on this is what it actually looks like to be truly human. What it means to be God's new creation. In all of this, I think the structure of the whole passage points to verse 17. That the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, that there is telling us the purpose. One of the purposes of Scripture, so that we can be complete in the sense of being competent, equipped for every good work. To put it another way, the, the word of God does the work of God. So one pastor put it this way, that God's word is not just informational. It's not just inspirational. It is transformational. It, bring, it can bring about change. So not only does God speak through his word, God works through his word to bring life change and transformation in and of itself. And so if we're scripture driven, let us be shaped by scripture. In Psalm 19, Psalm 8, David is singing of the law of the Lord. And he sings, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So if we were to kind of break down this passage, there's a parallel, a comparison here happening. It begins with a a statement of what God's word is. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure. And then it, it moves to a statement of what the word of God does. The word of God revives the soul. It renews us, it tells us who we are. It, it makes wise the simple. And so it prepares us to see God's historical redemptive plan in Jesus. It makes us wise for salvation and also rejoices our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. The word of God does the work of God. Scripture shapes sinners into saints by the Spirit. There's a transformation effect to this. Now, it doesn't shape in the same way that you know, we're just checking off a list right, of things that we have to do. It shapes who we're really becoming underneath all the list of behavior modifications. Fundamentally, it transforms us from the inside out by the Spirit. And so each of these marks, as we've been going through these core values week to week, we're going to have a question for us to think about, to reflect on. It's a question for ourselves. It's a question for each other, too, as we gather together over lunch In small groups, as we meet up and catch up, we can ask ourselves or we share about reflecting over this question or we ask the other person about it. 
Our question today is, how am I a parable of Jesus? Our parables are an extended metaphor, right? It's a story that's meant to create a comparison between something that is known and something that is unknown or less clear. It takes something that is known and uses that to reveal something about the unknown. So Jesus spoke in parables. He used examples from everyday life, the seeds or the millstone or the, the ocean or whatever it might be to speak about the kingdom of God. And when we think about it, Jesus' life is a, is a parable of God. In the sense of the story of Jesus helps us to have a glimpse to show who God is. And so we ask in the same way, how does my story, how does my life reveal to others, point others to who Jesus is? How does it help them to know Jesus? As imperfect as we are, we know that we're not Jesus, we're not perfect, but as imperfect as we are, still, we ask, how am I a parable of Jesus? So Crossbridge, let us be scripture-driven together. Let us, as we do so, let us also be shaped by scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your good word to us. We give thanks that you have chosen to be in relationship with us, to communicate to us, and that your wisdom, your character can be found in the pages of your word. Help us, God, to, be, to engage with your word, to hear from you. Help us to, be, uh, to allow your word to shape our everyday choices our everyday values and attitudes, and help us that this word, your word, would also transform our relationships with you, with others, and the way we view ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.